0: Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly lookout to get the best out of your savings and investments. As always, we try to put you at the heart of the show and encourage you to tell us what you would like us to talk about, but we've gone one step further this week. To mark our 50th episode, we're joined by listener David Caney. We're gonna be covering how David invests, which includes splitting his portfolio into three segments, We'll also be hearing from David how he expects his portfolio to change over time and the investment lessons he has learned. So David, to start off, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? You don't come from a financial services background, so could you tell our listeners when you started investing and how you started investing?
1: Well, I'll say I'm 59 years old, rapidly approaching 60, at which stage I'll be lucky enough to get the uh, NHS pension, Um, and I get the pension at uh, 60, so that's that's good. That will give us about 60-70% of what we need, and uh, the rest will be courtesy of Money and Interactive Investor, Stocks and Shares ISA. And that's been built up over a period of time, I guess 15 years or so. And yes, I have some pretty nerdy spreadsheets on my computer to keep track. So Um, so yeah, that's, we're looking forward to, uh, to six months time.
0: So within the stocks and shares, Isa, obviously we spoke before, um, you agreed to come on the podcast. You mentioned that you split it into three different categories. So you've got income, income and growth and growth. So could you talk us through why you've done it that way in each of those categories?
1: Well, I guess it's because, well, because I'm getting close to retirement, we're looking at taking an income. And. I'm not really so much interested in the, uh, the growth stocks. If I can, can I give you an example of my thinking? You may not want to hear this, but I just want to hear, compare and contrast two investment trusts. One is Scottish American, and the other is your favorite Scottish mortgage. Now, Scottish mortgage is growth, and Scottish American is growth and income. I think I'm correct in saying that. Now, we invest in all different ways, but I like to sleep at night. I don't like to worry about my investments. And Scottish-American makes me sleep better. Supposing you bought shares in Scottish mortgage, at, say, in, in the 2018 or so, about 5, 5.50 a share. And all of a sudden, they're at 14 pounds a couple of years later. I think the point I'm making here is, what, what do you do as a DIY investor? Because I don't know what I would do. I have no idea. I would I take a profit, would I take a little bit? I don't know. But with Scottish American, I can just let it run. And if you just to, to make my point, you just have to look at the share price graph. Scottish mortgage is like a the Matterhorn. And Scottish American is what I would call a steady eddy increasing and it looks very nice. So does that give you an example of my thinking?
0: Yes, yeah, so so of those three categories, you are, you know, give you fifty nine, you're gonna be retiring shortly. As you mentioned, the focus is now a lot more on income and income and growth rather yes. than just these go growth funds yes. or investment trusts, which you know Scottish Mortgage fits into, and it's a very adventurous yeah. holding as well. Nothing
1: against Scottish Mortgage.
0: <laughs> so, so overall, you ha- you do tend to favour investment trusts over funds. Yes. Could you explain why?
1: Well, you're probably better off explaining than me because. That's a lot of what your podcast is about. So I'm not very good at explaining it. But I think for me personally, it's the idea that they can... Well, during the pandemic, they continued paying dividends. And now I guess that's what happened with a lot of the funds. But I think they're also a lot simpler to understand. Well, here's an example of a fund, which is quite confusing. The Invesco Monthly Income Plus Fund. So supposing you had 10 grand and you wanted an income and you chose that... There are four different classes of income and four different classes of accumulation. And I've yet to find out which one I should go for. When you do your research, I just think that a lot of the investment trusts are just easier to, to get your head around. I think you can probably give us some more answers as to as to why. And so I'm, I'm happy with that. It's, I think our portfolio is, is, I don't know, maybe 70% investment trusts.
0: It's interesting, you know, what you say about them being simpler to understand because in financial advisor circles, you often hear the argument that investment trusts are not recommended on the grounds that they're quite complicated to understand to their customers. You know, there's various bells and whistles that investment trusts have. You mentioned the um, the dividend reserves, which smooths payouts during lean periods such as the COVID nineteen pandemic. And obviously investment trusts, the other sort of bells and whistles are their, their ability to gear. There's a fixed pool of assets, and they also have independent board members. I mean, I didn't have an economics degree. I knew nothing about this industry 12 years ago. I learned it all on the job. I really don't think investment trusts are complicated to understand. I just don't buy into that argument.
1: Can I mention one other thing? The Woodford fiasco, if I can say that. I I don't think it did the funds any good at the time. I didn't didn't invest in in the Woodford fund. But the idea that if everybody starts wanting their money, it can kind of... Get a bit messy, so I think that's maybe worth mentioning as well.
0: Yeah, of course, because you know, with with investment trusts, if you want to sell, you can just sell on the daily basis. I mean, that is in vast majority of cases that happens with funds as well. But there are times when they can suspend. We saw it with Woodford. We've seen it with um, commercial property funds as well over the years when there's a rush to the exits. They can't sell the assets quickly, so they have to suspend. So you've mentioned um, Scottish-American. Could you run through a couple of other investment trusts that you hold?
1: Well, the income funds, you're talking Henderson International, which you did not so long ago. We've got a lot of commercial property, which at the moment don't look great on the share price, but they're still pumping out the dividends. The renewables, there's a lot of renewables. The Gore Street Energy, Downing, UK Wind. I'm not really worried about the share price, to be honest. I think we're going to continue turning the turbines there's a lot of multi-asset trusts that we've got and i think maybe that could be a podcast for you maybe you could delve deeper into the multi-asset trusts. jp morgan multi-asset aberdeen diversified henderson diversified again that the share price doesn't do a great deal but as i said the dividends come in income and growth well of course we've got saints jp morgan global growth and income that's a cracking one mercantile murray international schroder's oriental and there's a couple of interesting ones like international public partnerships they've done they do a lot of in- infrastructure and a really interesting one was is uh, hypnosis song funds which has hit the headlines because that might get taken over he says hoping
0: so, so when you're looking at the investment trust universe there's around 400 investment trusts i mean and in, and in the case of open ended funds i mean there's thousands of them so how do you narrow that amount of choice down? What are the sorts of qualities and things that you're looking for in a fund or an investment trust?
1: I mean, you hear it all the time, do do your own research. 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had a clue what a lot of these were about. And I suppose I just started reading papers and magazines. I got a free subscription to Money Week. That was very helpful. We also got a free subscription to The Telegraph. There's so many podcasts now. And I suppose you just put two and two together and start adding them all up and if the times are saying something the telegraph is saying the same a magazine you get an article here and there you think well that's a good idea and i suppose the other thing to remember is that if you if you look at the single equities like shell unilever glaxo diageo and you're not you're a bit concerned about buying just the one entity well you just go to uh, an investment trust website, say for example, City of London. There's there's another one, or Merchants. You just look at the top ten holdings, and you think, oh, they've, that they're, they're all there. I mean, I can't remember what Merchants hold in the top ten, but pretty much uh, they'll they'll probably have some of the ones I've just mentioned. So you think, oh well, I, I'm trying to make things quite simple, so spread the risk. And that's why I opted to say, well, there's a no-brain. Let's go. Let's have some merchants trust. So I, we've held them for about eight or nine years, and that's that's done very well.
0: You also own some um, individual equities as well. Is the focus with those equities income, as well as it is with the investment trusts?
1: Pretty much. I don't really get any more single equities. Single equities. Let's just be honest here. All the listeners to this can think of a single equity where the dividends of Dried up or been cut. You can talk about Vodafone, Marquis, the banks. Shell and BP aren't paying their dividends as much as they were pre pandemic. There are some cracking ones. Uh, National Grid. I think we're going to continue needing them for a while. Unilever. There are some companies like Diageo. I mean, they're all global, aren't they? And well spread out. And I say a while back, I mean, this is quite some time ago. I was in the shower, and I was looking around at all the soaps and things, and I think, and I could see that they were all made by Unilever, and I thought, well, there must be something going on here with the Unilever, because I didn't even know who Unilever were. And I realized that they also made Magnum ice creams, and I thought, well, there must be something, and, of course, Hellman's. Unilever's a good one.
0: So overall, with your portfolio, um, how's it been faring at the moment, and do you have any performance concerns?
1: Not really. There's no such thing as a perfect portfolio. And let's be honest, I've had, I've had some clangers. But overall, some of the yields, and I think I'm right in saying there's something called a yield on cost. So if you buy something for, like for instance, our, our yield on cost at legal and general is now 12.82%. The current yield on legal and general, I think, I don't know what it is. I think it's about 6 or 7%, whatever it is. But because we've, we've been reinvesting the dividends, anyway some of the some of our other stocks are struggling but the majority are it's doing it's doing great and I'm very happy it's um, and we we will be able to take a lot of the dividends as cash instead of reinvesting in in retirement
0: so you've mentioned you've had some clangers over the years could you go into some more detail on that and name some specific examples
1: i invested in an investment trust called civitas social housing and it's got, there's, a, there's another one called Triple Point Social Housing. And interestingly, Civitas was really – I can't really go into the details of why they went down, but they did go down. But the dividends kept on coming in, and I thought, well, this is okay. And then all of a sudden, it got taken over, and I got my money back. So a lot of the residential or the commercial property ones are not exactly doing great at the moment. But take, for example, Epic, which is uh, Edison property. Commercial property. They're having a. I think they call it a strategic review. So I wouldn't be too surprised if something happens there. And Clangers, single equities. will take your pick. Some some of the banking shares. I mean, I've had I've had RBS, which is now NatWest since the beginning. But even even they are, are now delivering a decent yield. So.
0: And when you're you know looking at your portfolio, especially as you're approaching retirement. How much store, if any, do you set by the sort of like my, wider macroeconomic environment? You know, obviously at the moment, inflation's at high levels and, you know, a lot of people's investments may not be growing at the same pace that these high inflation levels are currently at.
1: That's correct. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm not really going to be worrying too much. The, the portfolio has, it is what it is, and it's giving us enough income. I guess what you've got to ask yourself is how much income do you need? How much How much money do you actually need? And I suppose we're lucky that it's giving us enough. The economy of the world, something's going to happen. There'll be another crisis, that's for sure. The pandemic taught me or taught us so much that when it all kicked off, I did look at it. and I thought, oh my goodness. But it corrected pretty quickly. So yeah, there will be another crisis. That's guaranteed. I feel strongly that a lot of the money we have in these investment trusts will be robust and safe enough to see us through.
0: And in terms of generating income for retirement, are you aiming to take all the income from dividends or prepared to also take some capital growth as well and sell some shares?
1: I guess so, as and when. I mean, what's interesting is that we've got seven years of that, and then in seven years time, we'll get our state pensions, which is a huge pay rise if you think about it. And I suppose as you get older, you've got to start thinking inheritance tax and ultimately you've got to spend it because otherwise there's no point in going to the grave with uh, heaps of money in your stocks and shares ISA. So, um, but at the same time, it's, it's nice to be comfortable.
0: And is there a certain sort of percentage that you're aiming to take from income a year or do you think it might fluctuate over the years? I mean, obviously, earlier on in retirement, you, you, know, you hopefully you want to take more you know, to enjoy it, you know, potentially go on some holidays, et cetera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a complete mindset. Because of all your life, you've been saving, you've been working hard, you've been putting into the pots and everything, and then all of a sudden you come to retirement, and then it starts to go down. Your assets start to go down, well, yes, there's a bit of a mindset a bit of a mindset change, but yes, it will be playtime. I'll obviously keep an eye on the portfolio and some dividends I'll try and keep reinvesting. Because we haven't mentioned the magic or compound interest, and that—that's what I can see on my spreadsheet. How the the dividends have um, gone up quite considerably. First dividend we got from Merchants Trust was, I think, seventy-eight pounds. I don't know how in twenty sixteen or something like that. And then the next one I predict to be about one hundred and forty. And that's 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 a quarterly dividend. So that it's it's and I've just let them grow. And it, it's 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 like a it's like a it's a tree in your garden watching it grow. It's great. <laughs>
0: And in terms of, um, you know, selling investments, I think for many people, it's harder to sell than buy an investment. I mean, what, what would be your approach is, is, you know, given your focus on income, you know, if there's a dividend cut down the line, would that be sort of the point where you'd review the investments and potentially sell?
1: Uh, well, here's another clanger, direct line insurance. Or is it a clanger? We don't know. They did an announcement the other day, and things maybe aren't looking quite so bad. I mean, we haven't got much invested in Direct Line, but it's it was giving us a cracking dividend, and all, all of a sudden, um, it's not. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe at some point we'll, if they go over back over three pounds, we might get rid of them. But I did get rid of of United Utilities a while back because I was getting worried about the. That, I don't know, maybe their dividends will be cut um, for whatever reason. They may have to, they may be forced to invest in their infrastructure. Um, so I think I, I think I, I sold at a good profit actually. I was quite pleased, but again, single equity, uh, somewhat exposed. Um, so I did get rid of them and reinvested in, and I think I put the money actually into Henderson international income. Yeah, that's what I did. And I'm very glad.
0: So as you've mentioned, um, you know, around 70% of your portfolio is in investment trusts um, with the remainder in individual equities. You don't have any exposure to passive index funds or ETFs. Has that been an area you've looked at?
1: In all honesty, no. Uh, I think we do have a legal and general index fund i don't know whether that's active or passive we've had it since 2001 and I th- it started out as a pep and that's done very well but other than that I, I don't think we've got any other track of you know those vanguard ones we don't have any of them that's for my daughters
0: is there any particular reason as to you know why you've not looked more closely at that area
1: not really no but uh, after listening to the podcast i'm much more aware now of, of costs and charges if if anybody is out there thinking oh shall i buy this or buy that i can only repeat what you said the other days check the fund charges
0: well it's of course you know it's the only thing that um investors can control at the outset i mean you don't know how funds and investment trust on individual shares going to perform but what you can do is you can take a view on the cost from the outset
1: yeah absolutely
0: and finally, I wanted to ask you about your biggest investment lessons and top tips for future investors or you know beginner investors today. You've mentioned a couple throughout this podcast. You mentioned you know reinvesting dividends, compound interest. Do you want to go more into those? And have you got any more examples?
1: I would say, if they're willing to listen, I would. I would tell my kids start early, regularly investing. And here's a shout out for an interactive investor. They've got the free regular investing, which is great. Another shout-out would be the family and friends. So it, there, there is the charge that a lot of these investment platforms will, quite rightly, uh, but the friends and family does allow for certain members to to join and, and their fees will be incorporated, I think. Other lessons, uh, we've mentioned another crisis because there will be. Don't panic sell, can I say that? I mean, the pandemic was was incredible. I, no, I didn't panic sell, but I, it kind of is a bit scary. Yes, always keep a cash pot. My own dad said cash is king. But then don't use that cash to uh, if you get fear of missing out. So if you see an investment trust and it's absolutely amazing and you need to get in there, well, fair enough, but cash, cash is an amazing thing. It's. It's. don't forget that it's money and you can use it to have fun and uh, you can't take it with you. And you you start thinking about that more and more in, in retirement and you you really don't want ending up with a tax man either. So the, the whole tax thing is quite an important thing to get right as well.
0: Well, they're all great tips, David. Uh, I mean, in terms of um, FOMO, I mean, the thing that I always think is, you know, if you see a fund or an investment trust that's been performing really well, what you need to remember is that those returns, they've not went to you, they've went to other investors and you may actually be buying towards the top of the market. So you need to look at the prospects for the trust or fund today rather than looking back at what it's done previously. Well, David, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your personal experiences as a DIY investor and and naming some of your top tips and lessons for our fellow listeners.
1: Well, thanks very much indeed for having me because you yourself bang on about having a well-balanced and diversified portfolio every week. So you're, you're talking some sense.
0: My thanks to David and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.